Welcome to the Sidious Mac Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Chavez. The Sidious Mac Podcast is presented by Final Surge. No matter if you're an athlete or a coach, Final Surge helps plan and attain both short and long-term training success. Their free online training log is compatible with Garmin, Strava, Polar, Stride, Koros, and a slew of other apps and devices. If you're a coach, Final Surge makes planning and analyzing workouts simple and helps streamline communication with you and your athletes. Some of the top coaches in the world who have been guests on this podcast use it on a daily basis. If you're an athlete out there who's hammering miles and tempo runs solo with no guidance or direction, well, Final Surge is also here to offer up some world-class training programs. Get yourself a training plan for that spring 5K, that half marathon or full marathon that's on your calendar right now. They've got plans from Ben Rosario and NAZ Elite. Drew Hunter and Christine Thorne and the Tin Man Squad have their hammer and axe plans. You can always hit the classics with Greg McMillan or Boston Marathon champion Ambie Burfoot. And if you are a fan of the sport and are curious how the pros are training, Helen Taylor, Stephanie Bruce, and the rest of the NAZ Elite Squad share all of their training logs on Final Surge. Give it all a look at FinalSurge.com. Sidious Mag listeners can get 10% off their purchases by using code Sidious at checkout. So check it out today. Our other presenting sponsor for the month is Brooks Running. They just released their Brooks Hyperion Elite 3. People who follow me on Instagram know that I've been a big fan of their Hyperion line since 2019. This is the latest edition in their super shoe category. It's got everything to love from the second version of it and now a quick knit upper that allows for feet of all sizes to fit comfortably. It's breathable and as a result, it also yields better support while you're out for a run. They're super light to have you ready to fly on race day. It's a shoe that Des Linden wore when she broke the 50k world record i've been rocking it as i make my return to running the shoe is on sale now so head on over to your local running shop or visit brooksrunning.com for more information on the brooks hyperion elite 3 and in addition to sponsoring the podcast we're also going to be doing some live events with brooks during boston marathon weekend join us at the brooks hyperion house at 154 newbury street there's plenty of fun events happening all throughout the weekend including a live taping of dana giordano's more than running podcast on sunday there's panels and shakeout runs on monday we will be doing an alternate stream on our youtube channel where me kyle merber dana giordano and some other surprise guests will be providing our commentary on the race that's happening in front of you so mute your tvs and watch along with us or join us live in person at the hyperion house you can rsvp and check out all the events happening throughout the weekend through the eventbrite link in the description my guest for this episode is Des Linden. I believe this is the third time that she's come on the show, and the first time since 2020, the last time out. We may have enjoyed a little bit too much whiskey. Actually, I may have enjoyed a little bit too much whiskey on the air, but it was the pandemic, so who could blame us? It was a lot of fun. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't yet. It's an all-timer. In this episode, we catch up on everything that she's been up to since, including training for this year's race, her foray into broadcasting with NBC, our shared love for Formula One and how track and field or running could take some cues from it, where she sees her career right now, and so much more. It's always a pleasure to kick back with one of U.S. Marathoning's all-time greats. So without further ado, welcome back, Des Linden. All right, and now we welcome back the one and only Des Linden to the City of Smack podcast. And we've done a couple different iterations of this. We did the last time you were on was middle of the pandemic, got me 
into whiskey to the point that now I guess we don't need to have this time around, but I've got a nice bottle of, of Pappy. Look at you. <laughs> He's all grown up. <laughs> all grown up since the last time uh, we were on the show. Um, you're, you're training or else I would have said you should just crack, crack open, you know, a glass of, of something, but it seems like you're, d- you're deep into training at this point. Like it has to wait until after. Yeah. A couple weeks out now, I guess three or four in, um, that's like the most tempting thing, but I'm going to wait, Chris. I'm going to wait. All right. Well, I'll be at the Brooks Hyperion house right after you finish the race. So maybe I bring this bottle up with me. And if the day goes well, you know, we could, we could celebrate a little bit. There's always a reason for Pappy. Cause if it goes poorly, you need something nice to soothe yourself, but let's, let's plan on it going well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So even before that, the last time you were on the City of Smack podcast was when we did like a short mini show in 2018, right before you ended up winning. And now what I loved about that was that it was like 10, 15 minutes long, super low key. There weren't too many people at the press conference. And then you go out and you win the damn thing in like the worst conditions the race has ever seen. And so I kind of also feel that ever since then, going into Boston, it's been totally different because of the spotlight and attention that you have. But now, given that we're a couple years removed from the win, it feels like you're flying under the radar again a little bit this time around. And so does do you prefer that? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely easier. <laughs> Just literally from like a amount of time dedicated to things other than running. Um, it's been pretty low key this go around and yeah, it's, it's significantly easier. And then racing is racing. Like whether people are believing in you or they think you're, you know, there's no way you're going to be in the mix or whatever it is. It's like outside opinions are completely separate from what I'm thinking about. So, um, yeah. I like that because like it could go, I think you've kind of now played into how Meb was towards the end of his career where every time you kind of discounted him or thought that he was out of it, something would happen to kind of take him by surprise. And so is that sort of, I mean, how you feel that you're at at this point so far where, you know, yes, there was attention from, from being a previous winner, but you've, you've still got it. Yeah. It's kind of mixed. I feel like there are more days where I like, I don't got it. Um, <laughs> but Boston's just such a crazy race. And I feel like if you can get to the start line feeling healthy um, and you've run on the course before and, you know, like I, I've done that and I know how it races and crazy things happen there. So if I'm on the start line, I'm going to give myself a chance. Um, last fall was really tough where I was just not fit. Like I didn't totally want to be on the start line, but it was like, yeah, we'll just go and try. Uh, and I think I'm still kind of building back up from just that um so i don't love my odds but i think like if i'm healthy on the line i'm not going to be like oh, i have no shot like i'm always going to give myself a chance so we'll see we'll see how it all unfolds this could also be a des bluff <laughs> <laughs> i wish um no i mean I, I think it's been training's been like just pretty wildly inconsistent which is a word i don't use often um, when i'm describing myself but uh, I think it's nice cause I'm not injured. Like I don't have anything that's bothering me, but just like mobility and movement and like getting the same 
um, rhythm in running is, has just been a struggle this go around. So like, I feel really strong. Um, I'm healthy, uh, but getting like pace and cadence is a challenge. So a lot of people will look at New York calf and be like, Oh my God, that was terrible. And it wasn't very good at all. But also on the same, like on the other side of it, it was like, I finished and I felt like I was able to get good stretches of like appropriate cadence and pace. And then I'd have to like kind of back out and like almost recover within the race and then try and get back on it. Um, and then I came off that and I was like, Oh, this feels easier. And every session since then has felt a little bit easier. So it's all pointing in the right direction. It's a matter of, uh, if we have enough time. <laughs> That's the funny thing that my coach Kate Gustafson and, and your, your friend, uh, mm-hmm. I had breakfast with her right after the NYC half. And we were kind of looking over the results and like yours stood out and then she, she kind of reiterated to me it's like you can't put much stock in a half marathon with des because like <laughs> it all kind of it can look on paper like it's it's not, it didn't go as well as she had hoped but uh it all fits into sort of the marathon training and so that that just seems to come from years of experience with you and so how in, in addition to just kind of like the inconsistencies that happen so far in this sort of buildup do you typically try and subscribe to like one type of like training, you know, sort of playbook for Boston? Because like, I feel like over the years, it's had to have changed based off of, you know, how you're feeling coming off of injury. And so the, like, how different are all these Boston buildups that you've put together in your career? Yeah, I think the early ones are all really similar. And I think the Hanson's philosophy is kind of, it's really dialed in and doesn't change too much. You might see minor tweaks. And I went through that a number of times and had a ton of success. And then at a certain point, it was just like, I need a little bit of a different stimulus, even just to kind of stay where I'm at, like not try and get better. Um, and so now it's my coach, Walt Drenth, like is really tweaking a ton of stuff in terms of like, this is the feedback I'm giving him, or this is the thing I'm struggling with. It's much more, um, managing little problems now because you're just an older athlete so uh it'll change I mean he might have a plan for the segment what it might look like and we'll get halfway through and he'll be like actually we're tearing the second half up and we're going to start going week by week and adapting and um tweaking so even in this one you know you have the game plan and it's all long um reps and getting used to marathon pace and then a little bit quicker than marathon pace and it's just having trouble with the cadence and and this pacing thing. And it's, uh, he just was like, Hey, we're going to do, I think one of the workouts was like, um, a bunch of one minute on one minute off and then down to 30 seconds on 30 seconds off. And it's like, this isn't going to get me in shape, but like what I actually need is to get quicker, like get that turnover back. And really by the end of it, it ended up being an 18 mile day. So you're still getting volume, but you have to work on this other thing too. So, um, I think he does a lot more thinking on his feet and it's not necessarily like this is the best Boston segment. It's like, this is where we're at now. This is what we're working with. These are the problems we're trying to troubleshoot. Um, and this is where we're seeing progress. And, and that's, you know, kind of day by day, week by week. Trying to sharpen up that speed is a part of that just because of the trends in how marathon running has kind of changed within the last couple of years with people getting faster and just sort of like the late stages of the race getting much quicker when people were able to sort of like break 
breakaway or so how do how do those workouts sort of fit into you know the the trend of how marathoning has changed in recent years yeah i mean i think you you have to have that marathon pace has to be quicker that's just the given now and um boston's downhill so you get a little bit of an assist but I, you know everyone's going to get that in the front i think this year is going to be um incredible i think for me it's just like the callousing of mileage over year after year is just kind of naturally slows you down. So um, we have to kind of touch on that. And I've tried to do track seasons and they tend to like, just beat me up a little bit too much. So um, now it's like, how can we implement these within the longer races and, and preparations? So yes, yeah, it's insane. I think mentally it's become a little bit of a problem for me too. Cause it's like, you know, I'll try to run, you know, it's like 525 paces, the new marathon pace that, you, you know, like that's the minimum. Um, and it's a hard, like for me, like, again, hard time getting that turnover. So you see 530 on your watch and like, this is a waste of time. Like just shut it down. This isn't a good workout. And you go back home, you're like 530 is, that's a really good marathon. Like that's your, you're talking to, you know what I mean? Like, or you see 535. I mean, even that's like, oh, this is like, I should pull out of Boston. I, I shouldn't even be bothering lining up. Like I can't only run 535 paces. Like, well, that's, that's 226. Like you're, that's still a really solid marathon. So um, I have to like, not get frustrated if I see those numbers and then hope that we can trend the right way. And if you can't like not throw in the towel because it's not what you want to see. So. I think one thing that I picked up on from the interview that you did with Outside Magazine, I think a little bit over a year ago was sort of that the reason you're still, you know, sticking with the marathon and competing at these majors is because, you know, when you throw out, you know, times like that, like sometimes it's it's hard to comprehend that the win might be a little bit slower than, than that, but that still gets you sort of in top 10. Is that the reason why I guess like you're still keeping at it in terms of just sticking with the marathons? Cause like, I feel like it was still like a year or two ago where the talk was like, yeah, you, you're going to get the itch to go longer and to, to try some other things. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I would like to still be competitive or have like one more or two more where you go like, that was really satisfying. Like I had a really nice build up, put together a race that like showed that, you know, I had a, a pretty solid at this. Um, and I haven't like this build up doesn't feel like that. We'll see what we get on race day though. Like who knows? Um, so that's kind of what's keeping me in it, but there's days where I have like, where I'm hitting the five thirty fives, and I'm like, I'll call Josh and be like ultra, like what, what's on the schedule? What is it like? So that's, that's much closer now. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's just like, there's no level of comparison there. Cause I can go like, well, in the past I ran X for a marathon. And, um, you know, when, when you kind of hit that max, it's like, okay, well, let's go see what I can do here and not have that kind of, I got to match it or I got to be better than it. So it's, it's coming soon, Chris. <laughs> a quick break now to tell you about our new sponsor, Therabody. This is a partnership I've been waiting for, for a very long time calling all you athletes and weekend warriors out there are you looking to cut down on hours of rest and recovery as you push for that next level recharge your legs like the pros with therabody's revolutionary new recovery air jet boots recovery air jet boots are the world's most advanced pneumatic compression system ever created for years runners bikers and everyone who spends hours on their feet have had to suffer through leg pain
pains and aches after a long, hard day. Clinically proven treatments like compression boots that pro athletes use have always been out of reach. Recovery Air is a groundbreaking pressure massage for everybody, anywhere. With TheraBody's exclusive fast flush technology, Recovery Air flushes out metabolic waste more fully and brings back fresh blood to your legs at three times the speed of competitors. Faster cycles mean faster recovery, so you don't have to wait for the legs to be feeling great. Not just good, great. TheraBody's Recovery Air Jet Boots are the first of its kind. They're truly wireless for anywhere on the go recovery, boosting circulation and radically reducing muscle soreness. And thanks to Recovery Air's super intuitive, easy to use one touch controls, recovering faster is a breeze. I took about a three month break from running. So now that I'm getting back into the routine, I wanna make sure that I'm able to tackle that next day's run feeling strong and recovered. So I simply just kick back at the end of my day, turn on some reality TV and just sit there in my jet boots so I'm not feeling that last run or workout the next time I get out the door. If that's not enough to convince you, maybe it's the fact that more than 250 professional sports teams exclusively use their body products and they're trusted by world-class athletes like NBA All-Star Paul George, superstar footballer Trent Alexander-Arnold, and champion golfer Colin Morikawa. So sit back, relax, and recover. Go to therabody.com slash Sidious to get your Therabody recovery air today, starting at $690 or as low as $59 a month with the firm. Plus, recovery air's 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping is included, so there's no risk. Again, that's therabody.com slash Sidious. Check them out today so you can get your legs feeling great. Not just good, great. Are there little things that you still pick up on just from running Boston so many times that each time out, you can take back to the next build up and look forward to like, I still need to, you know, fix this part of the race. And this part is still sort of challenging to me. So like w- having the experience on the course, you're probably going to be the most experienced, I think in the, in the pro field, like, how do you sort of, are you still, you know, picking up on things or is it just at this point, like just trying to get as fit as possible because you know, the course at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think I know how to prepare for the beating it gives you. So a lot of people just go like, Oh, 26.2. I'm preparing for the distance. Like I'm out running these pretty gnarly courses and you know, you get your quads hammered up for the first month and a half. And I'm like, I suck. Like these paces are horrible. And then all of a sudden this really challenging course, you have a workout one day and you're like, it looks flat out there. That's wild. Um, so when you get out into Boston, you're, you're a little bit ready for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I do know that course well, and, um, it's less like putting that stuff into training and just like utilizing it in the race. Like people never run the tangents correctly out there. It's kind of funny. Um, and even just like, Hey, you know, this training block hasn't been hundred percent, but crazy things happen in Boston. People come back, people blow up, people make incredibly bizarre racing decisions. So like just mentally not checking out before you even start. Like I'm going to give myself a chance because I know that it's going to probably go to form the way it usually does. And that means there's going to be opportunities to beat some really good people. What has been some of like, I guess being in that lead pack from, from all the Boston's you've done, what has been one of the most puzzling sort of decisions you've seen someone make that backfired or like just (laughs) is there anything that really sticks out to you aside from like you making your move in 2018 (laughs) yeah well 2018 was bananas like every decision was just like you'd pause and go like I don't know if that's right but I think the strangest one to me was um not Shalane using the restroom which (laughs) was strange but I think that was very practical like that's not going to get better right so she goes but the fact that um Amiti Daska was like 
this Shalane's decision is going to change my race and how I need to attack into this headwind. Like it didn't make the headwind die down. It didn't make it an appropriate time to go. It was just that Shalane needed to use a porta potty. It's not like, in in my opinion, that wasn't very well thought out. And, you know, at mile 20 or 22, it's like, yeah, that wasn't very well thought out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At this point, now that it's been, you know, how many years now? Uh, Four years? Yeah. Four years since your win. Like when's the last time you went back and, and watched it? I'm sure like in speaking events and stuff, like there's clips that are played, but um, that you've kind of like put that behind you now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will like, I, even the like finishing or the stretch that we use on um, a speaking event or something, they'll show a little clip. I'm like, I can't like, this is awkward to watch anyhow. Um, so no, it's not something I like sit around and think about often. Yeah. What do you visualize now, now that you've kind of won that race? Is it just replicating that feeling? You've had like kind of two different ways of visualizing that Boylston street stretch where it's, you know, where, you know, it's the chase from 2011, it's the win in 2018, but now, now how do you sort of dream of crossing that finish line? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good question. I think that's kind of a thing that has been missing for the last couple of years just because racing was off the table for so long. It was like, you sort of stop picturing it. Um, and I, I think now it's just like being scrappy in the middle. And, you know, if I'm in contention, I already know exactly whether it's a sprint finish or, you know, being out there alone or whatever that is. Um, I just imagine fighting hard in the middle sections. So this time around the training, how's the winter in Michigan been? And you spent some time in Arizona. So like, how has this training block looked? Yeah. So I spent the early part in Michigan, just like kind of getting base miles in and, you know, simple workouts out here. Um, And then spent most of February, March in, in Phoenix, which was great. Um, Got some good work in there and great temperatures. Um, I don't know if I'm the only one who has, this feeling, but I feel like every, like this was the worst tempy winter in terms of wind. Like it's, it's been windy every day. Um, but I think I'm just getting soft. And then it came back to Michigan, uh, after New York half and the wind is way here, worse here in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> in addition to that, like, I guess this time, this winter, we got to see you on a couple of broadcasts at, you know, the new balance indoor grand prix at Milrose games, and I think I kind of asked you about this in, on Staten Island, but can you share it sort of with the listeners? It's like, how did, you know, traveling out to those meets factor into uh, training? At that point, it was a little, it was somewhat early, but I, I figure like scheduling wise, like sometimes that could be a bit of a mess. Yeah, it's pretty, I mean, calculated on my part, whether or not I can say yes. And like, I know New York, okay, there's Central Park and there's going to be a great place to run. It's not figuring out where I'm going to get my miles in. Um, and then it's just being committed where you're like, okay, I'm going to have a production meeting at 10 a.m. So that's like getting up nice and early and getting the bulk of the run in in the morning and then go to the track, do the thing, come back and go back out and do the second run. And, you know, you just have to make it fit. And it's not like it, the workouts or the run have become second tier in terms of priority. It's like, these are both super important. So just get up early or or make the time. I mean, we all have 24 hours and you just figure out how to use them. 
you've been crushing it behind the mic. Like what have, what have you enjoyed, I guess, about uh, that side of things? Yeah. Thanks. Um, I, I'm, I feel like I'm terrible and I haven't listened to one of my broadcasts back yet, which is like what everyone should do. <laughs> um, but I, I have, I'm having fun with it. I think it's been really fun to work with Paul and Otto and just like get the tricks of the trade, learn how the formatting works. Like um, I know I, I haven't been around track in a long time, but I know the ins and outs of it and it's kind of refreshing on freshing up on that. And um, so it's, it's all these different skill sets that I have like individually. And now it's just kind of like connecting them and, and putting them together. So uh, if they keep offering me gigs, I'll probably keep taking them. And um, it's like the first marathon where you're like, wow, I didn't even know that there was so many things I could screw up. And then every time you get a little better and a little better and, you know, that's, it's learning something new. In sort of my little bit of announcing experience with Kyle, Kyle brings that sort of athlete experience behind the mic as well, where he, he thinks he can fall into that Tony Romo sort of category, where if he's watching a 1500, he can try and predict uh, what's going to happen next or who's going to win. Uh, being a couple of years removed from uh, the the track, like, do you still think you, you have that sort of skill as well behind the mic? Or are you just sort of a bit more observational? Like, is there a broadcast comp that you've got, you think, when it comes to calling track races? Yeah, I'm not trying to predict. I'm just trying to help people understand the why. You know, I mean, that's the analyst is like, why would you make that move? Why, you know, is this a good decision tactically and what it feels like, what it's like to be in that moment. And I think I listened to a lot of broadcasts and was like, I don't, I would never say those things about this race. Like, how am I observing this so incorrectly? Um, and, you know, I was kind of like taking note of the things I would say with these decision-making. And it's like, I'm, I'm never going to be any good at this because I can't see it the way they see it. And then I realized like, actually that's a great attribute. Like you see the race in a totally different way. Um, you just have to figure out how to express it and make it accessible for a person who's never watched track before. And so, um, yeah, I think that my insights are probably totally different than a lot of people's. And I think that, you know, that's why we have good variety in track and field. Um, so I don't know, hopefully I bring something interesting or different than most people uh, have heard before. I think that NBC is doing a great job of like getting voices like you in the booth because, you know, for the longest time, people are very quick to complain. It's like, I don't need things dumbed down to the point where like, tell me to go to my local track and run this amount <laughs> of laps around or whatever it is. Um, and so like kind of now that you're in that room where, where it happens, uh, what were some of the things, I guess, before, like as a fan of the sport spectator watching these broadcasts that kind of either frustrated you or you kind of, you know, didn't really see eye to eye with that now you're in somewhat of a position to try and change from, from the inside. Like, is there anything that you hope to see improved within the presentation of the sport? Yeah. I mean, definitely there's still a lot of room to grow and um, yeah. I mean, I think everyone gets frustrated with the really obvious, like, elementary explanations you're like I'm a fan of this and I know what a 400 meters feels like or whatever it is um or you know I think some of the storytelling is like so repetitive and I've been in this trap as well where it's like yeah El Perrier St. Pierre was raised on a farm and that's why she's so tough and like 
<laughs> but it's also like you have you have to balance that where like if you're the if it's an Olympic year and it's the first time she's on the track for the season, like do you tell that story again or how can you tell it differently? How can you make it interesting? Um, and I've had this like mental moment where I want to make fun of it. Like, yeah, Matthew Stafford, uh, I don't know if you know, is a teammate with Clayton Kershaw and L.A. Perry St. Prior, you know, like this is the dumbest fact in the world, but you still have to put in that basic human interest storytelling at the beginning. So I don't know. I think freshening those up and getting different angles is always important. Um, and then the other thing that was interesting to me is like using splits to tell stories um it's like second tier like you you don't want to use the numbers you want to use like feelings and you know like paint a picture of what that emotion is or what it feels like to be in there or run that fast um but I'm like I I want numbers or like I want to talk about like why Bryce Hopple is running a thousand meters indoors when Donovan Brazier is running the 800 and like he's chasing an American record. That's it. That's the only thing that's happening here. And I want to talk about every split and, and they're, you know, it's just like, no, he's running a race. He's trying to win. He's trying to cross the line first and sell that story. And then if he gets close to the record, you know, we start talking about it. So it's just interesting. And, and I get like the reasons why. Um, but as a fan, sometimes sitting down, you're like, just talk about the obvious thing. Like it's the record. He's chasing the record. So I don't know. No, I know. I saw Kara's notes at the Olympic trials and just sort of like the breakdown of just how detailed like every minute of these broadcasts is where it's like when Kyle and I are in a booth, it's just so free flowing. They're just, you know, two mics and two track nerds and we're able to just talk about what we're seeing in front of us. And it's a little bit more willy nilly, but I think that is the part when like people do air their grievances online. It's like, mm, yeah, there's a purpose behind all of this. And like, there's people behind the broadcast. And so like, that's why I'm not as, as critical about it, but it is, you know, once you get behind the curtain and you see the reasons why it is sort of, it do, things do start to, to make sense a bit. Friends, stop waiting and start looking into your summer plans to join us in Eugene for what we've dubbed as the Summer of Hayward. It's no secret that we love track and field at Sidious Mag, and if you do too, come and celebrate that love with three of the biggest events happening in the sport on U.S. soil this summer. We're going to be doing daily runs, live shows, and some other fun plans from the Sidious Mag House at the U.S. Championships and the World Championships. But even before that, we're going to be at the Pre-Classic where some world records will be broken, some spots on Team USA will be secured for the World Championships. And if you've been listening to our Track Snacks segment every single Friday, we've been highlighting the stories of some of the athletes that will be at those major events. So to make it easy for you, we've made a landing page where you can get all of your dates and tickets sorted out visit sidiousmag.com slash summer payword to learn more join us it's going to be the biggest party that track and field has ever seen in america i'm stoked the countdown is on less than 100 days to go until the world championships see you at hayward i'm late to the party when it comes to f1 and like the presentation there, I know you mm -hmm. for years have been a fan because you know, going back to 2018, seeing you do the shoey in Boston, like uh, I'm so I think and I keep bringing it up constantly within podcasts because now I'm just so hooked on mm -hmm. F1. I've got a McLaren like uh, sweater. You have a McLaren? Yeah. Oh, just no, a no, not a, I should just stop and <laughs> send it there. Yeah, I was like, dang. Yeah, Sidious Mag uh, podcast watchers are, you guys doing are great. killing it. <laughs> <laughs> but so 
I think they do a great job with the storytelling and the, you know, setting it up and qualifying and like some of the interviews they do in the paddock where it doesn't take away from the action that's happening sort of on the track. So long winded way of asking what got you hooked on F1 and like sort of like is are there cues that the sport of track and field can take from F1? Yeah, I, I think um, F1 is, well, it's incredibly entertaining. It's just super fast cars. It's loud. Um, it's aggressive. There's crashes. Like the personalities are phenomenal. It's got everything. It's, and it's got this consistent schedule. You like, you know, the 24 drivers and they're going to match up every week for, you know, however many months and it's predictable. And so that makes it super easy to follow. Um, I think there's like this is an interesting thing that we were able to see in 2018, but they own their own broadcast um, mm-hmm. facility. And it's the whole thing. They have two of them and they, you know, have one at one, the site that they're at and the next one travels to the next city that they're going to. So they control everything, you know, what cameras you're seeing, what splits are on the track. Like they have all the data, all the numbers, it's all there. Um, and they're not dependent on like, okay, actually this time we're going to the world feed and you're going to get whatever video you get and good luck with that. So, um, you know, I think that's just, we're at a significant disadvantage due to dollars and they're obviously having, they have a lot more than we do in track and field. So um, that production quality is just phenomenal, but I do think, you know, I think the storytelling is incredible and that they can connect these shows like week after week. Um, And sometimes I'll find myself doing that if I do a couple shows in a row indoors and, I'm not even sure if that's like a pro or a con, like, you know, actually these are one-off events. Like you shouldn't reference Milrose too closely or like talk about USA's at the end of Boston indoor or, you know, so um, that's an interesting thing that I'm not sure schedule wise what we can do. And then if you're even going to be on the next show, like do you tee it up and so on and so forth. But I think creating consistency is like the biggest thing they have. And, And it's the schedule, it's the same drivers, it's the same cars and, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's all very entertaining. There's those Twitter threads that are out there of like, just exactly how they made it so popular and this boom that's happening within that sport. And like, I think Kyle was the one who retweeted. It was like, oh yeah, don't take any advice from this, like, uh, <laughs> it, um, track and field, like just keep at it, what you're doing. But like, it is the tough part is that there is no, you know, big governing body that can mandate people to race regularly and set that schedule for people. So I mean, optimism wise, where are you in terms of just like, can track ever get to a degree of that? You think? I was thinking about that in a run recently, like what is consistent in track that you could like count on and and would be reliable throughout a whole season. And it's an interesting, like, I don't know if it's the right move, but what you could have is like, we do, we're starting to see these really developed teams and like, you make Danny Mackey a figure, you make Pete Julian a figure, Dathan Ritzenhine, uh, John Green, you know, there's all these really young, interesting coaches. And then they can tell you the stories that are unfolding and you get a, you'd probably have a better handle on who's going to make it to the line and when we're going to see them. Um, you know, you let those people tell the stories of the athlete. And I'm not sure that's the answer because ultimately you want to be selling the athletes, but it's the, most consistent thing that in our sport, if you have a team and then the coach and then the athlete, I don't know. Is there uh here's a fun question. Is there a, a 
build up for a marathon. Maybe I guess it would be Boston because it gets the happy ending Boston 2018, but like a segment of your career that would have been great to have like a documentary crew just film from start to finish. Oh, I think the 2011 Boston, like we just, I just felt like I was sitting on a secret, you know, like training was just so good and um, everyone kind of eyes in a different direction like who's going to win Boston this year is it going to be you know and and then it had not the happy ending but still a pretty great surprise um and I think you know it would have been kind of fun to tinker with the idea of like why I was disappointed with second yeah and then it sets up a season two that you know would have a good sort of build up towards you know and then Olympic trials and then a sad ending for Olympics and then a season three, <laughs> honestly, I have a you, lot of seasons. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> All right. So getting back to kind of like some of the more recent things that you've been up to last year, the 50 K world record of 259. What did you sort of take away from that experience? Um, and are there lessons or something like that from that, that you can kind of apply to the marathon, just going the extra distance? Yeah, that was awesome. It was super fun. And it was just like, there's nothing going on. The one constant for our sport is that there's always an event in the spring. Um, and there was really nothing going on or to celebrate. So we're like, Hey, let's just put this where a fun thing normally would be. And if people want to follow along, cause they miss road running in the spring, now they have something to follow along with. Um, but the training was great. I've, I, we didn't do too much too different. Um, I think a big thing was mentally adjusting to 540, 545 pace. Like I'd want to go out the door and run 525, 530. And, um, you know, I didn't, it never really caught up with me, but although in hindsight, now I'm wondering if all those super long workouts, like at the, the quicker, like that is what is kind of causing the cadence problem now. Um, but it was just a little bit more volume in the workout. And then my long runs were a little bit longer, Uh, but with quality within them. So I think those were things we wanted to take into the marathon. Um, And I just haven't had a smooth marathon segment since then. Um, But yeah, it was just, you know, the longer long runs, but with the good quality work within there. Uh, And and those worked out really well for me. So eventually we'll use that. (laughs) Yeah. First time uh, you got to race in the Hyperion Elite 3? Correct. Yeah. So how do they shoot. feel I, now they're, now they're out to, to the public or, or yeah, I think they, they now are, um, I got my pair in the other room Sweet. over here. Uh, so like, what would you, what do you like about these shoes? I guess from the first iteration, they're very different from the second one, the upper kind of changes, but I guess what was some of the feedback you gave from two to three? Yeah. So the midsole is the same as two. Um, and I thought that is, that was a really good update that they got out to us right before the trials. It definitely has a more poppy feel and, uh, saves the legs quite a bit. And then the big changes are in the upper, which I just feel like really hold the foot a lot better. Like it's, um, a better material that's not like as loose and, uh, not as likely to stretch. It doesn't necessarily, um, retain a ton of water. Like I feel like the other ones are just get kind of soggy and sloppy and these ones kind of let things in and out, which is kind of nice and uh, pretty minor updates, like really just with the upper, but I think they are significant in the way they fit on the foot and really grab it and 
Um, it's not a sloppy shoe by any means. Not that the other one was, but it's just a, a more fine-tuned version of it. This one would be really tough to do a shoey out of. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll have to try. I, mean, I think we did. I think it worked out okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many pairs of these have you gone through? Uh, I think I've had two, two or three. Oh, so I don't wear them. Too, I don't wear them yeah. too much. I, I like couple workouts here and there, and then race. Um, I try not to. I'm I'm still torn on like how to exactly implement the shoes and the foam and the whole thing. And like, do you want to use it all the time so that your legs are fresher, or do you want to use it sparingly so you feel like that extra, you know, boost when you put them on? I don't know. <laughs> kind of super shoes factor into this next question I've got about just like from your vantage point watching someone like Kira D'Amato break the American record in the marathon, like did that take you by surprise a bit because I guess like the question that everyone was like kind of scratching their head at for the immediately kind of after was just like, why was Kira the person to do it when we've had athletes with much a longer list of credentials, Shalane, you, Jordan, Kara, like, you know, giving it a shot to run their fastest that it, you know, it finally went down 16 years later and that it was, Kira who, who's like took the 10 year break from, from running and is now like really thriving and having all this great success. But it was sort of like a, you know, a moment that people were still kind of scratching their heads. So like, how did you sort of process the American record falling after so many of you, the people around you for years have been going after it? I, I actually think that makes a ton of sense really. Like there's sort of this mental, for me anyways, this mental barrier between pre and post super shoes. And, and you're always doing this conversion, right? Like I know I have to, if I want to run well at Boston this year, I need to be running five twenty fives. Like in the past that was five thirties, but now it's like shifted and the shoes need to bring X. And like, you start thinking about like, I'm 100% overthinking it because I know like what it was and what it is and where it's going. If you're Kira and you don't like, you weren't in the game pre super shoe, you put on the shoe you just go and you're not over, you're like, I am what I am. And I know these numbers convert to this time. And it's, it's pretty simple. Um, and so I think it's like either people buy into the pre and post thing and they go like hundred percent, this shoe is going to make me better, but I've also gotten better so I can compete here. Um, and then there's people who go, I don't, I don't have a clue. I'm putting on this shoe and this is how fit I am now. And so I think, if you're in that boat, it's just a lot easier. Like you don't have the expectations of, well, in the past, so-and-so around this, or, you know, I, my half is only that it's just like, I feel good. And this is what the clock says I should be running. So I'm gonna go out and do it. And, and that's, I mean, it's great. It's um, I think for a long time, people had the mental barrier of two thirty, and it's not really special or significant. It's just like, Oh, well, so-and-so. And it's like a little bit of a comparison game. So, um, yeah, I think it's shifted the mentality for everyone. You saw Seidel go out and knock it out of the park, any Frisbee, um, you know, Nell Rojas. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not sure who's like Dakota Lindworm. Dakota Lindworm. Is that the yeah. Last? yeah. So like, I don't think any of them have, or even Jordan Hesse, I don't think any of them have like a pre super shoe measuring stick. And that's good. I mean, that's, they need to be eyeing up the the rest of the world and, having a competition measuring stick. 
but on race day, like you can't let any of that sort of second guessing and overthinking it at that point, like you're on the starting line, you've done everything you can to get to that point that at that point, it's just, I've got my tools and I'm ready to go and I'm in my fitness and I'm just racing. Right. So like, it's mostly getting in your own head during training runs when you're by yourself. Right. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And you do like the conversions and you're like, oh, I'm having a really, dip- not a bad day, but like a really bad day. Cause I'm also in my super shoes, like, or my, your good days. You're like still critical of like, is it a really good day or is it just the shoes? Ah, I can't win. <laughs> Uh, what caused you to fire off that tweet that you said, apropos of nothing, nothing at all. I'm officially allowing myself to remove the asterisk from Boston 2011 performance. Congrats, Ryan Hall on the American record. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing at all. Nothing, Chris. <laughs> I don't know. I think a tailwind is not really that big of an aid if we're going to, you know, put technology in. Yeah, I have a bunch of draft tweets. <laughs> I would love to just take <laughs> take a quick scroll through through the drafts. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in addition to just kind of like the super shoes, like I know you're one of those people who has also said, I think we should just remove, what was it like uh, records from like the broadcast and stuff? Or was that just a, a thought that you kind of once floated out there that I think we should just focus on the racing that's happening in front of us? Because yeah, I have caught a couple, you know, sort of races on TV and where as soon as the, you know, record starts to slip, the, the announcer just calls it like it's uh you know, a bad race. It's like, no, it was still like a thrilling race. So what, like, I'll let you air some grievances out there. And like, what are still some of the things that uh, bug you about sort of the focus on, on times and not competition? If there's no, I mean, if there's not really a race happening, there's not multiple contenders up there, then you're left with, you know, either time or a lot of storytelling about an individual, which well, they're fine. Um, but if, you know, if you're really watching a good race, who, who cares? I mean, it, it comes in late in the game. And, and this is again, like the Bryce Hopple thing, like it's true. Like it shouldn't be the main focus. Cause then if he's, and I go back and forth on this. Cause like if Bryce Hopple is two seconds off the thousand meter record, like, eh, but does, does your, like your grandma know like two seconds? Wow. Like this summer is watching, the hundred meter heats at a, um, a bar in Charlevoix and, you know, the, the first round of heats and, um, the lady at a table next to me, was like, Oh my gosh, she was like two seconds off the world record. Like, do, do we like time shouldn't even matter here. Like we should just <laughs> talk about competition. She was actually well behind the winner who is advancing and she is not <laughs> like, um, so I don't know. I think we can get like too wrapped up on the time and the records. And even now they're kind of in, they're going to be in flux for the next couple of years. Anyhow, like, yeah. Oh yeah. Another record. Like, yes, they're all tumbling. They're all tumbling right now. So is it interesting? Is it exciting? Or, you know, is the head to head battle more interesting? Um, Which is what I loved about uh, indoors. Like the, the U S championships is like the only thing that's on the line right now is a jersey like Josette Norris wants to go get her first U.S. jersey, and if she does, like you should be jumping on her couch for her. Like that's that's interesting to me, no matter what. Yeah. So aside from some of the, uh, so some of those are like the things that annoy you. What are some of the things that you're enjoying right now, and like what still makes just you know the training process and and everything fun for you? 
<laughs> um, it has its moments. No, it's, I love being kind of buried in a training camp, like down in Phoenix, where you just feel like you're all in on um, a goal, but also the process where you're like, it's actually really enjoyable to get out and do hard work and feel like it's pointing towards something. Um, and then the other thing that this, this time in Phoenix was like, going and running new places like oh yeah we ran a bunch of trails like this was awesome and it's all productive towards uh boston and it's getting me fit but it's also just sort of the act of going out and running somewhere new and exploring was it was really fun um so i'm i'm enjoying that and um getting back to boston getting back to normal racing like a, a schedule and uh i think i'm at a point where i'm seeing progress like post new york and kind of getting fit but also mobility wise and movement wise trending in the right direction. So it's a, a weird place in my career to say I'm improving, but I feel like I'm progressing and, and getting better from where I was last fall. So that's refreshing. <laughs> so what would make, uh, with, with some of these improvements and acknowledging sort of the, the hiccups along the way, what would make Boston, uh, an A plus day for you? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, if I'm competing, like really mentally between the ears, like engaged and competing for 26.2, I'll be pumped because I just feel like it's a race where you can have your eyes up and you can be running down people, you know, all the way to the finish line. And if I'm doing that, I'll, I'll be thrilled. I think, again, my my head will be the biggest um, obstacle. And I think if I throw in the towel, even for a mile in the middle, like it can all go sideways and I'll be really frustrated with myself. That's uh, I, I'm sure at this point, like the streets of Boston are like so familiar with you. Does the, does the crowd still sort of help with like, you know, the fans and all that acknowledging like you knowing who you are from, you know, 2018, 2011, all the different times that you've run this race. Like what, what can the crowd do for you this time around? If there's people <laughs> listening to this that are going to be out there cheering, is there anything that they can uh, do for you? <laughs> <laughs> I, they, they just got to do what they do and that's cheer like maniacs all day long. Um, yeah, I, they, it's so special there. It's just so different. And, uh, last year they were phenomenal. So thanks guys for that. It's just like a million times I wanted to step off and quit and like, uh, but there's someone up there cheering and they like have a sign you got to keep going. Um, so hopefully there's something more productive. They're pushing me towards this year. Like, Oh, there's one more body up there. And like, I want that you know, seven-year-old kid with the sign to see me pass somebody. Cause that'll be awesome for them and, and awesome for me. So, um, yeah, I don't know what it'll be, but as long as they're out cheering, I'll, uh, absorb it and, and use it. Yeah. I, I love hearing that because like the, the urge to DNF when things might be not going according to plan, like it, it gets up there. But, um, I think at this point you've sort of gotten to you know, what would it take to, to DNF? Like what, at what point do, do you, you know, officially pull the plug? Like how bad do things have to be going? Because like you said, that seven year old watching, even if you were coming through a couple minutes behind the leaders still takes away some great inspiration. There's probably someone at mile 24, 25, who's looking forward to seeing you, you cross. And like, um, I feel like some of that gets you to the end where it's like, all right, maybe not my best day, but I could still go the distance. Yeah. I, I mean, I have one DNF in my career and, um, I thought it was tendonitis when I started, it turned out to be a broken femur. So, you know, that's the type of thing that will make me step off. But, um, yeah, I, I think in 2019, I had this like straight, not a strange, but it was this 
Twitter conversation with Gabe Grenwald and, um, you know, she was kind of down in the dumps and it was like, Hey, did all the miles for you because she would have killed to be out there. Like, you know, she wants to run so bad and she can't, and we're so fortunate to get to do it. But not only that, like as a profession, that's absurd. Um, so even if it's not my best day, I'm going to do everything I can to get to the finish line if I'm physically able and it's not detrimental uh, to my health. And, you know, it's not, there's no added incentive. I don't get more money or, you know, less reduction if I finish. Um, it's just a personal preference. Like if it's going sideways and I'm going to be reduced, that's that, but I'm still going to get to the finish. So final question I've got uh, is just just before this, I recorded and, and spoke with CJ Albertson, and I'm sure maybe you saw his Strava where he ran 2.11 uh, or just 2.12, just off his PR. Um, I think he said like his 26.2 watch split was 2.10 high. Uh, so hit me with like a prediction. Also, first off, like, do you think that's kind of absurd or crazy or is it just sort of that you know doing it three weeks out before the marathon to run basically a pr in practice yes i think that's absurd crazy (laughs) both of those um not for me but i think that cj albertson operates on an absurd crazy scale and that's what gets him fired up that's what gets him fit is it the most productive thing for muscular skeletal like systems and so on and so forth. No. Is it the best thing for CJ Albertson from the neck up? Absolutely. So, (laughs) you know, he's got to do what's going to get him ready. Um, and it's, it's not always traditional for that guy. So I think he'll, um, have a phenomenal race out there prediction. God, that's so hard because you never know what the tactics will be, but I guess last year he was like, I'm going to make it my own. I think he'll run about 25 seconds faster than last year. I think that should get him a PR or very close to it. But um, it was funny because like when I'd said to him, you know, you know what you do is like not traditional. He like kind of disagreed with me and I was like, no, like it it actually is sort of (laughs) crazy. And so he says his plan this time out is to go play mind games with people. And like he he said that in the lead pack and, and you probably, you know, this, of course, but it's like talking, isn't like all that common. He's, he says that it, he finds that very weird because he just wants to talk to people while they're up in the front. And like, if it gives the impression that he's doing fine, then like maybe that gets into people's heads and like maybe telling someone like Bekele to like, come on, buddy, keep up or something like that. Like he <laughs> wants to try and do stuff like that. So I don't know. I mean, he just definitely sounds like he's, he's playing mind games with, with, with people leading up to the race. And so I think it's going to be exciting regardless uh, on both sides. <laughs> oh yeah. It always is. And there's always surprises and breakthroughs and the whole thing. So uh, we're certainly in a new era of stars and there's a lot of young talent. That's going to be really fun to see um, just position themselves for the future and who are rooting for and you know, who's, who's interesting. Are there any stars, this could be on the track too, that you're particularly a big fan of right now that, that excite you? Uh, I think Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker are so fun to watch. Um, and just the dynamic of the training partners who are racing against each other quite often. So they're, they're fun. Um, 
I, I love the piece you guys did on the 800 meter, uh, just the high schoolers just going after it. And anytime I've been at a, a broadcast indoors and, you know, you do the production meeting beforehand, uh, Sophia Guerrero is just like training. She's always there. Like when we get there, she's still running when we leave. Like that girl's a, um, she's a grinder. So she'll, she'll be fun to watch along with that group. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of names, but I'll yeah. go with those guys on the track. Awesome. Well, Des, I hope to see you at the Brooks Hyperion house. Maybe if you make your way there after press conferences and all that stuff, we'll have a you know a glass of whiskey waiting for you um, and wishing you all the best of luck and the, the taper in the next couple of weeks uh, to come and go out there and, and crush it. I'll take it. Appreciate it, Chris. The City of Smack podcast is a production of the City of Smack podcast network. It is produced and edited by Mike Zerzolo. Did you enjoy this episode enough to dish out a couple bucks? Support City of Smag by pledging any dollar amount over on patreon.com slash Mag to join our loyal legion of backers who keep this show going strong. If you're on your phone right now, you can also open up the Venmo app and hit us with a one-time donation to at Mag. We've also got merch over on CityofSmag.com. Any way you can show your support goes a long way. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. See you next time.